So it's funny because my first prayer whenever I preach is please don't slip on the steps. I mean, up, you know what I mean? I have preached probably 600 sermons, a little more than that probably, but every time I always wonder the same thing. Why am I the only one looking this direction? What am I missing? Well, yes, yeah, there's a couple people thought it was funny. That's good. So we're going to turn to Philippians chapter 1. Philippians chapter 1. And uh, if you have my Bible, it's on page 352. But since I've got it, if you're using the little Bible in front of you, under the seats, it's page 921 in the ESV Bible. And if you'd stand up, I'm going to uh, read a couple of passages from you. From first, uh, Philippians 1, verses 12 through 18. <clears throat> now I want you to know, brethren, that my circumstances has turned out for the greater progress of the gospel, so that my imprisonment in the cause of Christ has become well known throughout the whole Praetorian Guard and to everyone else, and that most of the brethren, trusting in the Lord because of my imprisonment, have far more courage to speak the word of God without fear. Some, to be sure, are preaching Christ out of envy and strife, but some also from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am appointed for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition rather than from pure motives, thinking to cause me distress in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in this I rejoice, yes, and I will rejoice. Please be seated. Father, we uh, come together to look to your word. We're in a new year, starting hopefully a new uh, perspective in life. Lord, we just ask you to, uh, to help us find out what do you want us to do, and help us to do it. And we give you thanks us in Jesus' name, amen. Now, you're probably all with me in the thought that um, there are some things you just don't want to hear. I mean, there's some phrases that just really bother you. For me, when I was a kid, it was, wait till your father gets home. <laughs> now, it's not that I had gotten any trouble. It's just that she told me that every once in a while. But that's psychological terror. That's horrible. Because think of it. If she tells you that in the morning, you're dwelling on it all day, in the afternoon, and you're thinking about it the whole time. I mean, by the time dad comes home, and he always came home, um, I was a changed person. But that's something you never want to hear. Another thing you may not want to hear is when you look at somebody's hair, or they look at your hair, and they say, don't move. I can tell you right now, it doesn't work with Louise. She's not still Louise when you say that. Or maybe while you're in court and your lawyer stands up and he says, Your Honor, he says, if I lose this case, do I still get paid? That's not a good thing to hear, is it? Or if you're on an airplane and you're, you're in the air and you got some turbulence and the, and the pilot comes on, he says, well, I have good news for you, those of you that bought flight insurance. Well, the Philippians, they heard some news that they didn't like, and it bothered them. And the news was the Apostle Paul was in a Roman prison. 
And the question is, was it really a bad situation or not? The Philippians thought it was. Why was that? Because Paul proclaimed the gospel whenever and wherever he went. And the, the, apparently, the Philippian believers didn't. They just watched them do it. James Dobson tells us about a time when his children, he called them spiritual hitchhikers. Because they lived at home, and when they lived with him, he wanted to see all these great uh, uh, expressions of uh, faith from them. And it just didn't appear. And so he, he thought, wow, I feel bad about that. But when they moved out, they were just fine, because they were the head of the family. And they weren't relying on the parents anymore. The Philippians had been content to let Paul do the preaching. But with Paul in prison, they had to quit hitchhiking, and they had to step up to the plate, and some of them did, and they preached. You know, when something bad happens, something good can come out of it. Joseph said, what evil you did to me, God turned to good. One second. If you get thirsty, go ahead and have a drink. Late in the, in the late 1800s, Mary Bethune went to a two-year study at uh, uh, Moody Bible College, and she trained to be a missionary. And after the graduation, she found that the no mission board would get, uh, consider a black woman for the mission field. This is in the late 1800s. Out of evil, out of discrimination, out of bigotry, something good can happen and did Bethune-Cookman College was founded with missions in mind. She didn't give up. She started her own college. And she uh, taught black women to be, to be uh, missionaries. So out of that good came uh, Bethune College, which is still in play today. And the gospel was proclaimed by black women all over the United States, all over the world. What good came from Paul's uh, imprisonment was that he was free to proclaim the gospel wherever he went. Nobody stopped him. Is it to any and to all? The Philippians, they came out in droves in, to fill in for Paul's absence. Now, God took, took Paul's imprisonment and turned it into an opportunity to have the gospel go out to those who might do so if Paul had still been around. If Paul was around, they might not have gone out. Now, according to Acts 28, Paul was allowed the freedom with a Roman guard uh, chained to him to freely preach to all that he met, to anybody at all, to the whole Praetorian guard and to everyone else in Rome. Paul was free to preach the entire two years that he was in Rome. The cause of Christ was well known throughout all of Rome. Our God can make lemonade out of lemons if we'll just step out of the way and let him do it. He can make an Edsel into a Cadillac, and he can make a believer in Christ into a witness for Christ. He turned spiritual hitchhikers into spiritual warriors. And think about this. Outside of the apostles, 
How many instances do you recall of suffering somebody other than them preaching in the Bible? You know, it happened at, at times, but in the book of Acts, you almost always read about the apostles. In the Gospels, how many times did you see the twelve go out and preach? Yes, Christ did send them out. But where else, when else, did you see the apostles preaching? And after Christ died and was gone, who stepped up? Then the apostles stepped up. They weren't hitchhiking anymore. But not until then. Until now, at Philippi, who preached? Paul said in verse 14 that in his imprisonment, the believers had what had far more encouragement to speak the word of God without fear. In other words, they weren't doing it before, but with Paul out of the way, now they did. Meaning what? They had to quit hitchhiking. 2 Corinthians 5 says this, Therefore also we have as our ambition to be pleasing to him. There's three reasons why we should be pleasing to God. Number one, he laid down his life for us. We should also lay down our lives for him. Number two, when it's our ambition to serve Christ in any way, we feel good about it. We should feel good about it, that we're serving him, we're doing the right thing. And number three is the verse after the verse I just read. Therefore, we have as our ambition to be pleasing to him, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may be recompensed for his deeds according to what he has done whether good or bad, that's a good reason to serve Christ. You ever get paid for a job before you did the job? You know, sometimes I used to get paid first, and I think, you know, I don't feel like doing this job now. (laughs) I got the money already, you know. Why should I do it? But we've already been paid in advance. Salvation has been given to us, free. Eternal life has been given to us free. We paid nothing, and we got everything. And when we serve him in any way, he pays us back. He, he rewards us. I mean, how awesome is that? I mean, we get paid first. We get guaranteed eternal salvation. So then what should we do in return? It's like God gives us everything for nothing. But if we give him something, anything, he rewards us. Verse 13 again. Paul said, My imprisonment in the cause of Christ became well known throughout the whole Praetorian Guard and to everyone else. Now, Rome was a big city then. If you remember Nineveh, Nineveh was a big city at the time, uh, at its time, and it took three days to walk across it. That's how big the place was. Rome was a big place. They had a million people by 100 AD. They had at least half that then, uh, at this time. Everyone knew who Paul was. How was that? I mean, today we have instant news. Today we have uh, the Internet. We have uh, blogs, phones, uh, the Internet phone on the Internet. We have radio, TV, billboards, newspapers, magazines. And we got gossip. Back then, they just had gossip. So how did they know? 
And yet his imprisonment was well known to everyone. How is that? Remember when the two disciples were walking back from Jerusalem. And uh, after the resurrection, Jesus joined them. And he says, what are you talking about? And when they told him, they said, are you the only one in Jerusalem that doesn't know what was going on? Jerusalem was a big city. How does everybody know all this? Whenever Jesus took a boat across the Sea of Galilee, he would get in it, and people didn't know where he was going. But when he got there, who was there? Everybody. They were always there. And think about this. Most of the people going there were bringing somebody who was sick or infirmed. Think about going across the desert and taking somebody who's blind and walking into a place you think that Jesus might show up. Or even worse, somebody who can't walk, and you have to carry them. And there's we're inferring people coming from everywhere. How did they know where Jesus was? You know, with all the media we have today, I think the people of Jesus in the Apostles' Day seemed very informed. What strikes me is that they said his imprisonment was well known throughout all the Praetorian Guard and throughout all of Rome. Why not just say it's known to everyone? Why mention the guard? Because that he was known by the Praetorian Guard was a no-brainer. I mean, they were Caesar's special guards. They were the palace guards. They were like the CIA and the FBI and the police department all rolled into one. They were the jail guards. They were now, no, there were no ordinary schmoes among them. These were the best of the best. The, the, uh, the uh, best they had, these are the last line of defense for Caesar if somebody's going to rebel against him. He had the best soldiers in the world. So why did he mention them? Well, I got an idea. Think of, of being a guard. A guard was always with them. For two years, there was a guard chained to him. And I'm sure they had shifts. Now think, put yourself, imagine yourself being a Roman guard. I didn't tell you to close your eyes, because I know better than that. But imagine yourself being a Roman guard. And you've probably got no religion at all. All you know is soldiering. And when, G, when Paul was with someone around him, what did he usually do? When Paul was with somebody around him, what did he always do? He always preached the gospel. He always told everybody about Jesus. And can you imagine that one of these soldiers is, is uh, got a shift with Paul, and he's going to be chained to him for, I don't know, 10 hours, 12 hours? Can you imagine they're calling their friend, Titus, Justice, anybody? I'll give you a denarius if you take my spot, take my shift, please. I'm sure that many, many jailers were saved by Paul. But at the same time, I'm sure there are many others who would do anything to get away from him because Paul only preached the gospel. That's all he did. In in verse 14, it states that Paul, because of his imprisonment, many believers had far more encouragement to speak the word of God without fear. What a great thing that happened. These were faithful followers. The Bible has some faithful sayings. As the NASB says, uh, trustworthy statements. 
Words you can depend upon. Words you can live by uh, with confidence. The first is this. This is a trustworthy statement deserving full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. You believe that? He did. And we're the sinners. Because of that statement alone, it should cause us to go into the world also with that same message, that message of deliverance. Another trustworthy statement. It's a trustworthy statement for if we died with him, we also shall live with him. And if we endure, we shall also reign with him. What a great thing to happen. Now, of course, of all the scriptures that are, that are faithful sayings, but just like that, when it says, this is God's will, or it says, this is a trustworthy statement, you know, uh, it's something that he's saying, this is important. I'm trying to tell you something that you need to know. Paul's imprisonment was a trustworthy statement to many of the, of the uh, Philippian believers. And they sat up, and they took notice, and they got out into the world for the sake of the kingdom. And they told people about Jesus, which should be their main job. Verse 15, he says this, Some, to be sure, are preaching Christ even from envy and strife, some also from goodwill. So some people were not preaching from a pure heart, but they were preaching from selfish ambition. Suppose that's going on today still. I wouldn't want to say anything. (laughs) Evangelist. But, um, you know, there are people that we know that have way too many people, especially on TV, that have uh, brought a stain onto the name of Christ. They've lived too good a lifestyle. They've taken too much in. It happens now. It happened then. But what did Paul say about that at the end of verse 18? He said, What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in this I will rejoice. You know, God works through us despite ourselves, not necessarily because because of us. Remember Jonah when he went to Nineveh? He didn't want to preach to people. He hated them. He He didn't want to obey God. And God saved them despite him. God works through us, not because of our faith, but because he wants us to work back with him. Paul wrote Timothy, and he told him this, Fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called. You know, our faith is not characterized by that single act of faith when we came to Christ. But it's characterized by our lives lived by faith, living out that faith, carrying out that faith. And God's desire is for us to use our faith in many ways. How? By opening the door of faith to those who don't have it. That's one way. What did Jesus say to the church in Ephesus in Revelation 2? In part, he said this, You have left your first love. Remember from where you have fallen and repent and do the deeds you did at first. You know, I was struck by that when I read it recently. Because when I was a new believer, you know what I did at first? I told everybody about Jesus. I mean, I was excited. I told them about Jesus. And now here, 
40 years later, I'm not really doing that. You know, I think I need to do it, and maybe a couple of you need to repent and do the things that we did at first. Now, you know, let me ask you a question. If you knew that for a limited time you could get the best tires, if somebody's selling these best tires, the ones with a little O on it where you don't have to chain up, you don't have to get studs in it, the best tire available, you can get them and they're $20 a piece. Would you tell someone? Of course you would. So why do we have a reluctance? And we do, generally. Why do we have a reluctance to preach Christ to those around us? What's holding us back? Remember the movie, What About Bob? Good. I'll tell you about it. Remember what the doctor prescribed for him? He said, take... Yeah, you said it, just not out loud. Baby steps. He says, he says, just take baby steps. Go slow, go easy, but move forward. Go on with what you're doing. Are you familiar with trotters? When I was a young man, I used to hang out at the racetracks. And they had these trotters, and they, they have this uh, carriage that they pull behind them. And they can't run, they have to trot, you know, up and down. If they run, then they're disqualified. And so they put these blinders on the horses, and that's all they can see is straight ahead. All they see is the track. When I was a young man, I used to hang out at the dog tracks, too. I had a lot of time in my hands. And the dogs, when they're, when the chute goes up for them and they go for the race, they have this mechanical rabbit, and he's on a, on a fence, and they all see that rabbit, and they all want that rabbit, and they chase it. What happens when a cat sees a squirrel? He's got his eyes locked on that squirrel. They all have a single-minded purpose. Look straight ahead, want the rabbit, want the squirrel. For us, we need to look straight ahead. Want the message of Christ to go out. What did the cowardly lion want in The Wizard of Oz? Courage. That's the thing he lacked, isn't it? And it takes courage sometimes to take those baby steps. But listen to the words of Paul. He says, faithful faithful is he who calls you, and he also will bring it to pass. Do you believe that passage? He says, faithful is he who calls you. He calls you to a task. And then it says, God has a mission for each one of us, all different, that he wants us to perform. But it says, he will help us to accomplish that task. He will help us to bring it to pass. Now, we all have a mission, but the best is the Great Commission, isn't it? Now, when I was a kid, I still remember a jingle about dial soap. It's funny, I... Can't remember what I had for breakfast. 70 years ago, I remember a television commercial. And it went like this. It was dial soap. It says, aren't you glad you used dial soap? Don't you wish everybody did? (laughs) Well, I got a question for you. Aren't you glad you know Jesus Christ? And don't you wish 
that everybody did. There's a way to remedy that, of course. One of the ways is the HEBS, the Home Evangelistic Bible Study. It, it's a simple study that shows someone how to uh, bring somebody to salvation. I'm working on bringing that back, as a matter of fact. I was saved because of the Home Evangelistic Bible Study. Me and many, many others were also. You know what? It's New Year's Day today. I just thought of that. So what do you usually do on New Year's Day? You make resolutions. How's that usually work? The medical community states that if you want to make a New Year's resolution, just do one. Then you got a chance of completing it. Now, I believe that the single greatest joy in a believer's life is when you bring somebody to faith in Christ. When I was a young Christian, I brought people to faith, uh, several people to faith in Christ. And it's the greatest joy you'll ever have in life. So why aren't we doing it now? Good question. I'm here because Stan Wall reached out to me, and you're here because somebody else reached out to you. You know, a, a gynecologist was getting ready to close his office in the evening, and he reached over to turn off the light switch. And just before he did, a man comes into the office, and he says, I think I'm a moth. And the gynecologist looks at him, and he says, what did you say? He says, I think I'm a moth. And he looks at me and says, you know, I'm a gynecologist. He says, but I know a very nice psychiatrist. He's down the hallway there. And the man turns and starts out. He says, wait a minute. He says, why did you come into my office? And the man looked up and he says, well, you had a light on. <laughs> you know, Jesus Christ when he brought us to him, has given us the greatest light we could ever have. And we should be so attracted to that light that we would be compelled to share it with somebody who doesn't have that life. I'm going to finish up with a poem. It goes like this. My friend, I stand in a judgment and feel that you're to blame somehow on earth I walked you through day by day, and never did you point the way. You knew the Lord in truth and glory, but never did you tell a story. My knowledge then was very dim. You could have led me safe to him. Though we lived together on the earth, you never told me of the second birth. And now I stand this day condemned because you failed to mention him. You taught me many things. That's true. I called you friend and trusted you. But I learn now that it's too late. You could have kept me from this fate. We walked by day and talked by night, and yet you showed me not the light. You let me live and love and die. You knew I'd never live on high. Yes, I called you friend in life and trusted you through joy and strife, and yet on coming to this end, I cannot not call it, now call you my friend. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for uh, your word. We thank you for bringing us into your light, into your glory, into your grace. Father, you've given us a message that we're to uh, bring others to you, that we're to serve others in all ways.
Help us, Lord, to become evangelists for you. Help us to find a way to take those baby steps to speak to other people, to bring your name out, to show boldness like the Philippians did. Lord, we pray that you would uh, evangelize this world. Bring it, fill, help us to fill the body of Christ that brings you back to the earth. Don't let us be that kind of friend to our neighbors and our friends. And we thank you in Jesus' name in all ways. In Jesus' name, amen.